Welcome to the American College of Emergency Physicians eQual Network series on the Opioid Initiative, and I'm your host, Michelle Lin. This series focuses on reducing opioid-associated harm for our emergency department patients. And in this podcast, I'll help distill webinar pearls from opioid and pain management experts to answer burning questions that us frontline clinicians may have. A privileged fly on the wall. That's what I feel like when I get to listen to the equal webinars featuring experts from across different fields on quality improvement topics. And today's opioid initiative topic is on starting an ALTO program or an alternatives to opioids program featuring the founder of the program, Dr. Alexis LaPietra. Dr. LaPietra is the medical director of the EM pain management program at St. Joseph's and created the pain management and addiction medicine section at ASEP. Okay, so if you are like me, you're wondering why is this program called ALTO and not ATO? Oh, I see. Alternatives to Opioids, A-L-T-O program. So what is this ALTO program about? Let's hear the answer from the creator herself. It's a comprehensive program that focuses on multimodal approaches to acute pain management in the emergency department. We look to use evidence-based protocols to build these programs so we are not trying to substitute one medication for another because we like it better, but rather trying to substitute non-opioid medications that have evidence that they are as efficacious, if not more so, than just using opioids alone. The goal really with the Alternatives to Opioids program is to decrease unnecessary opioid exposure and actually treat the source of patient's pain. So we know we use opioids and they certainly work to treat pain, but they work in a mechanism that just masks pain. What we actually want to do is figure out what type of pain patients have and really treat their pain and get to the source of their pain. Okay, got it. Now, why this program? What are the benefits of the ALTO program? The benefits are not only that they reduce opioid harms by reducing unnecessary opioid exposure, but they can also reframe the discussion of pain management within your emergency department. So instead of focusing on pain score and getting the pain score as low as possible, using everything and anything, let's talk to patients about tolerability or functionality. When patients come in in pain, instead of telling them that we're going to get them pain-free, let's talk about the reality that they have an injury and that it may take more than a few hours in the ER for them to fully recover. But our goal is to try and treat the source of pain, get them up and get them moving where they can go home to rest and follow up. But the reality is they really won't be pain-free for the most part when they leave our emergency department, and that's okay. We also want to talk about how we're treating pain and how we're looking to identify the source and we're looking for things that are effective and we're trying to use research to drive what we're using as opposed to just putting a Band-Aid on or masking the patient's pain. And the goal, of course, is to be opioid sparing. We do not want to be liberally prescribing opioids for these mild to moderate painful conditions, but rather reserve opioids for significant pain. And we want to keep opioid naive patients opioid naive as long as we can, so they do not have increased exposure. And hopefully with minimal exposure, they have minimal risk of becoming addicted or dependent on these medications. Dr. La Pietra actually started by targeting a few conditions. Do you know which they are? The ALTO protocols really look at five conditions where there's evidence to support non-opioid analgesics 
as effective as opioids or even more so. So those include renal colic, musculoskeletal pain, headache, radiculopathy, and extremity fracture dislocation. Perfect. And thanks, Alexis, for working with us on Alien, where we're actually uploading your protocols to our website. So far, we have trigger point injections and renal colic pain management. Keep a lookout for the other conditions in the future. So to provide a balanced perspective, let's talk about some downsides. Specifically, whenever starting new programs or initiatives, sometimes it can get misrepresented to those not intimately familiar with the program, or they're just misconceptions. Sometimes what you envision in your head doesn't quite translate in reality, especially in the messaging. Were there any misconceptions about the ALTO program? There are a few misconceptions with the ALTO program. Sometimes it's quoted as being opioid-free in lay press, or even physicians may think, gosh, they're not using any opioids. How can this really be successful? The ALTO program focuses on opioid-sparing, evidence-based, multimodal treatment. But we certainly still want to use opioids. They are very appropriate for pain in the emergency department, and we think it'd be quite barbaric to not be able to reach for them when they are necessary. So we do still use them, but for most conditions that we see, we find that there is evidence to support the use of other analgesics. And if the analgesics that we reach for do not completely relieve pain where patients are up and functional, we always have the opioid there as a second line or rescue analgesic. When we see patients with sickle cell anemia or we see patients with severe multi-system trauma, perforated viscous, these are patients where we know the opioids are going to be the first line treatment and we want to promote the use of judicious opioid dispensing in the ER. But again, the focus is going to be on the treatment of pain when we implement ALTO programs using alternatives. Great. Thanks for clarifying these misconceptions. Now let's change gears a little bit. I bet there are many of us who are thinking, okay, I get it. I'm in. The ALTO program, it makes sense. And now begs the question, how does one even start a program? at one's own local institution. Fortunately, Dr. LaPietra has an answer for this. She breaks it down into four components. One, getting the administrative and leadership stakeholder buy-in. Two, the medications. Three, the staff. And four, the community. Let's hear the breakdown. Step one, really, in terms of starting your ALDO program is to get administrative buy-in. So this is hopefully going to be a department-wide initiative that either yourself as a physician or a committee of physicians and nurses are going to be forming. And you'd like that administrative buy-in from your C-suite. You, of course, want your department chair or medical director on board. Nursing leadership and pharmacy are also important colleagues to have in your corner as you start to launch this important but complicated initiative. A physician champion or pain management committee is very important because this is going to be the group that really does most of the work. And with administrative buy-in, you're really looking for some protected time or some administrative time outside of the emergency department. There's no way that we're able to work a full clinical week and then do this on the side. This should be a priority and this should have a few hours tucked away in your schedule where you can really dedicate time to investigating the protocols and building your initiative tailored to your department. So asking for administrative or protected time is very important and with administrative buy-in, you should be able to get that. When launching to your C-suite, the focus should be on patient safety and patient education. So we know that there are tens of thousands of Americans that are dependent or really overdosing and dying each day, and that is catastrophic. By launching an outdoor program, the goal is to reduce 
the exposure to opioids and hopefully siphon patients away from addiction. So this is really a very important patient safety initiative with a focus, of course, on patient education. And that's how I think it should be brought up to your C-suite. Step two is to sit down yourself with the body of knowledge out there or with your pain management committee in your department and look at the evidence that's out there. You, of course, want to vet the evidence that has been proposed by other groups and you want to familiarize yourself with what you have in your shop and what's realistic that you can reach for. So just because one ER is using something doesn't mean you have to, but of course you want to know what's appropriate and what's best for you. Collaboration with pharmacy is very important in step two as you're building these protocols. Of course, they know what's on formulary, they know what they can get, they know what may be on shortage. And this is the group that will be responsible for batching these medications and stocking them for you. The last thing we want is you building this beautiful protocol trying to go live and realize that ketamine drips take 40 minutes to mix in the pharmacy and you can't get IV lidocaine in the formulation you want, that's not going to make your ALTO program successful. So buy-in from pharmacy will allow you to have those medications batched properly, labeled, shelf-stable, and put in your OmniCell so that instead of reaching for that morphine, you're able to reach for something that may be more appropriate right next to the opioid. Transition of care is also important in this step as you're building your protocol and you're exploring what will work best in your department. As we know, the emergency department is not the only stop that patients will make in their pain management tour. They really need to be transitioned elsewhere. So discussing the program and the goals of the program with the next stop for the patient is important, whether or not it's internal medicine, your clinic system, family medicine, even your PM&R or physical therapy department, of course, orthopedics and even general surgery letting your colleagues know what you're doing. So when they get these patients and they see certain medications or they see certain modalities being used, they understand why and hopefully they can continue with that care if appropriate and they're understanding our patient safety and patient education goals. Step three is gonna focus on really education. So you've built your protocol, you have your medications ready to go with pharmacy and now we really have to educate our staff on what we're doing, what the goals are and how we can do it safely. Nursing education is very important. The nurses really own medication administration. And for most shops, they do a lot of discharge education for the patients as well. So we want nursing leadership and nursing education to be aware so that they can disseminate the best practices down to the nursing team. Many nurses may not ever have given IV lidocaine for renal colic pain. They may not be familiar with it, with what a trigger point injection is and the equipment you need. And it's certainly when we're getting more comprehensive by doing ultrasound guided regional anesthesia, there's layers of nursing care that play into this. And the nursing education is a big part to get everybody on board and to have some nurse champions as well to help you move your program along. IT is another wonderful stop in step three because no one wants to be searching for these orders in your EMR. And that is a huge barrier for success. The medications being in the OmniCell is one barrier to overcome with pharmacy. And then having the order sets right at the dock or practitioner's fingertips is a huge barrier to overcome. By being able to just type in ketamine and find your drip or type in ibuprofen or Tylenol with desired doses are important. So it's easy for practitioners to know what medications they should be reaching for when they're trying to utilize the ALTO protocols and they don't have to be searching or worrying about weight-based dosing. Community outreach is a really lovely layer when you're trying to let everybody know what you're doing. So your healthcare system should have some awareness because you've reached out and you're trying to collaborate with transition and care. Well, what about your patients 
and other community stakeholders or people who are looking to make improvements in patient safety and, of course, address issues of the opioid crisis. So by using your media relations or public relations department, or even reaching out to some nonprofit public health organizations, you can spread the word about what you're doing. And it is, again, to provide quality pain management, but to remember that opioids are not first line for most conditions, and we're trying to reduce opioid exposure when unnecessary to reduce opioid harm. But of course, to break some of the myths or to discuss some of those misconceptions about being opioid free or not addressing pain is important so your community knows that this initiative is not just substituting Tylenol, but really looking to have multimodal interventions and to treat pain, but also reduce opioid harm. Perfect. As with any new initiative that involves multiple stakeholder groups to buy into a change in practice, it can take a while to launch. It's often not as speedy as we'd like, unfortunately. What's your guess on an implementation timeline? Here's Alexis's answer. So the time frame and the metrics are important. So you have a realistic idea of where you're going with this program and how much time needs to be dedicated. When you get buy-in from your administration and you get the go-ahead, you really should plan on about 12 months of dedicating time to building this program. Of course, we know anything that has to be done administratively does not move at the pace of an emergency department. So you have to factor in some extra time. You have to appreciate that building the protocols, meeting with pharmacy, nursing education, physician education, building it into the IT system, and then community outreach really does take about 12 months. If you're done a little bit sooner, that's great, but you want to have a realistic time frame so you can anticipate how much of this time you need to allocate in the next year while you're building your schedule. Okay, great. So let's say you've built your Alto program protocol. The nurses, pharmacists, physicians, informatics department, and community champions have bought in. What metrics should we build in to ensure that we address quality improvement issues? It's really important to discuss what we're going to study and how can we see if we were really successful when we launched. And a few things that you can use, and you can use all or you could use one, but really I would at least try to have one metric to pick, are opioid dispensing, opioid prescribing, meaning what were we dispensing pre-implementation and what are we dispensing now? Also looking at what we're prescribing for discharge before and what we're prescribing now. And I would say a good timeline is to evaluate at six months post-implementation, 12 months post-implementation, 18 and maybe 24. There's always going to be a bell curve with buy-in So the first six months may not be representative if you look back at the 12 or 18 month mark of the progress you can make. It's important to track pain score, although we're trying to focus less on pain score and more on functionality, pain score certainly provides us with something that we can measure and we can really look at over time. So documenting pain scores are important and looking at those pain scores are important. We want to make sure we're maintaining adequate pain relief in the emergency department when we're starting an ALTO program and our patients are not going home without feeling like their pain has been taken care of. Patient satisfaction is also important and a little tricky. A lot of physicians believe that patients are looking for opioids or they're looking for a pain score of zero. But a lot of the literature shows that patients are really looking to see that their practitioner cares about their pain and is doing everything they can to address their pain. So when starting an alcohol program, there is certainly going to be a little bit more discussion with the patients about certain medications you're giving because they may not be traditional medications patients have received in the past. 
And that's good. A one to two minute conversation is not increasing length of stay, but it forces you to sit with your patient, talk to your patient, and that patient will feel, hopefully, that you've really put yourself out there and you're trying your best to take care of their pain. Patient satisfaction scores, we expect to remain the same or go up in this case when you are implementing with good patient education and also good physician education so physicians and practitioners know what to explain to patients. Also, another metric to look at is bounce back. Of course, we're trying to minimize bounce backs and we want patients to have adequate pain relief when they go home and have maintenance medications or good follow-up if need be, but making sure that patients are not returning is important. And this, these metrics can be studied by your team that hopefully stays in place after your go-live date. So for a quality assurance process, the physician champion or the pain management committee should remain together for about a year or even more after your go-live to address some of these concerns. We want to review appropriate or inappropriate use for medications that are novel, like IV lidocaine or even subdissociative ketamine. And you also want to track and see if your physicians are buying in or if there's barriers that they need that need to be addressed. Are the order sets not right? Is pharmacy not keeping up with having the medication stocked? So having the ability to review the ALTO program is very important just so that you can improve it, you can tailor it to your shop, and you can have better patient experience and better physician experience. Some groups also track opioid prescribing among physicians. That is a discussion you can have with your physicians and you can decide whether or not that is a priority for you. You again have a list of metrics that you can follow and reevaluate during your QA process. Perfect. These are very useful insights. But let's take a step back and zoom out a little bit. Let's look at the bigger picture. In this opioid epidemic era, one might say that the Alto program is the long game, but the horse, so to speak, has already left the barn. People are addicted to opioids. What's your response to this? And the last thing I want to talk about is considering starting a harm reduction protocol or program either alongside your ALTO program or as a phase two in your ALTO program. So the priority is better physician education for using non-opioid medications and modalities when appropriate, but also what about patients who are in the grips of addiction or the patients who are actively withdrawing from opioid medications? Talking about naloxone distribution for patients who receive Narcan resuscitation in the field after an overdose is a step that your department can take, whether or not it's distribution or just giving a Narcan script. That is one step towards harm reduction in your community. Also reaching out and talking with recovery centers for possible peer counseling for patients who have overdosed or patients who are asking for help. Also being sure to check the prescription monitoring program when you are prescribing opiates is very important. There's a lot of state laws now that require us to do it. Some states may not, but I do recommend doing it on every patient where you're considering an opioid script. It is a harm reduction technique in of itself. And when we are prescribing opioids, we want to remember to use as few tabs as possible for a short time as possible and always try to have a good transition of care or safety net for that patient if they need to follow up or have persistent pain. And the last thing that's really up and coming and certainly been out there in the press and in the medical literature is starting a medication assisted therapy program for opioid use disorder using medications like buprenorphine. So if that's something that seems like it would fit in your community and your physicians are on board, there is growing literature within ACEF and in the emergency medicine community as well at looking at MAT induction in the emergency department. And that will probably be another wonderful equal webinar. 
So if you'd like to know more, you can email myself, you can join the ASAP pain management and addiction medicine section, and you can find out more specifically about Alto. But I hope you learned about how to start an Alto program. And I hope you enjoyed the kickoff of this really great equal initiative. Thank you so very much for your time. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks so much to Dr. Alexis LaPietra for sharing your expertise on the Alto program. Thanks for listening to the ASAP Equal Network Opioid Initiative Series. Listen to the other Equal podcasts on SoundCloud or iTunes, or view the webinars on the ASAP Equal website. Until next time, let's keep the opioid epidemic conversation and harm reduction efforts going.